0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers. I am one of your hosts, George Terran, in the Armchair Producers garb. Yes, that's right. Five out of seven Russian bots approve of this
1: podcast. I am joined slightly fewer now on the invasion of Ukraine. It should be noted, but yes.
0: it's we just so like, underneath it we just put a thing saying i support the ukraine <laughs> yes um it's, it's, it's just, this t-shirt the, the invasion yes um this is the auspicious episode 177 i believe actually yes i uh just need to quickly update the note on that one 177 there we go done awesome we're good we're live it's all sorted we as always are joined by the talent the man who will serve us all the warrior the fighter Mr.
1: Travis Croft how are you sir I am fine and dandy it's uh getting cool again here in Melbourne so I actually got to wear my winter coat today and I still managed to get rained on even though uh, I had an umbrella because that's Melbourne, Melbourne. for you um <laughs> we might be having some new some new people join the uh, armchair producers fold who uh Happen to share a common workplace with me. Um, I should apologise in advance. Um, we, as I did flag with anybody who cared to listen, we are not <laughs> super professional, but we have fun doing the show, and we hope yes. our listeners have fun with it as well. Believe it or not, this version of the show is the streamlined version of the show compared to what it was twelve <laughs> months ago. So uh take that for what it is and we have shocked. trimmed down we we are live one hour 30 minutes we pretty we consistently are, now it's, it's pretty close yeah. yeah anyway speaking of that considering in the in the in the interest of brevity mm. shall we this week's chain movie should we just move on into
0: it? let's go straight into it you picked this one sir it is
1: the 2004 zach snyder directed dawn of the dead A nurse, a policeman, a candlestick maker, sorry, uh, a nurse, a policeman, a young married couple, a salesman, and other survivors of a worldwide plague that is producing aggressive flesh-eating zombies take refuge in a mega Midwestern shopping mall. Mm -hmm. Uh, The interesting things about this film, it is directed by Zack Snyder. It Mm -hmm. is written by James Gunn. James Gunn has a link to last week's uh, uh, masterpiece, (laughs) Scooby-Doo um i believe this is one of his follow-ons It's a couple of years after scooby-doo so yeah um interesting that he got the reins to this it's also mm. a writing credit given to one of my favorite filmmakers of all time george a romero mm. as it is a remake of the 1978 dawn of the dead uh directed and directed by george romero which mm. is one of my favorite films mm. um it stars sarah polly ving rames mckay pfeiffer some other names you might see that look a bit familiar. Ty Burrell, probably best known for his work on TV's Modern Family. Yeah. Uh, Michael Kelly as CJ. He is uh, a face probably you'll recognise. What was he known? He was in Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. Uh, bunch of he, other things. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys that's like, oh, that guy. Yeah, you see him heaps of stuff. You'd know yeah. the face, but you probably wouldn't know what he was. You now, other than that, I don't think you're gonna. You know, oh, that's where names. I thought it guess in the new Jack Ryan series, yeah. Ah, yes, uh, Leif Schreiber played the same role, I think, in one of the films. Um, yeah. Anyway, I selected this film, uh, mm-hmm. mainly because I thought it was an interesting historical document. I've seen people kicking around now. That's how old it is. People going, did you know the old DC guy made a film together? Um hmm Jack Snyder, of course, was the uh, of the DC EU there for a while until it uh, all came crashing down around him. Uh, and uh-huh. of course, we uh, DCU uh-huh. uh Czar. I don't know if it's an official title for him yet, but that's the man who's going to run the show from here on out. Apparently, though, so, just thinking about, they're not completely uh, moving on from Snyder. Like it just seems like Warner Brothers is going to run some sort of snyder fest or something like that where they're going to show all the snyder films i don't know if it's like a film festival or a convention i think i
0: think it's like a a celebration of his tenure in dc movies because it's it's basically just everything that he either wrote directed and produced or produced and it's like okay
1: sure might so as you well you're unfamiliar- not
0: really releasing anything
1: else at the moment because we're still waiting <laughs> so for those who aren't familiar with what we're talking about these terms mm-hmm. are sort of very interchangeable if you're in the know the EU includes films like well for snyder it was for three, three films the man of steel uh mm-hmm. batman versus superman dawn of justice and mm-hmm. justice league which which was Zack snyder's justice league which was the three hour version the four hours a really, really long version that came out a couple of years ago. He sort of yeah. he had a co-directing credit. Did he have a co-directing credit in the original version? I can't remember. He did direct the original version of Justice League that came out what, in two thousand and sixteen. Um, which uh he couldn't finish it though due to a family tragedy that was finished yeah. by right and exactly. ruined by uh the piece of shit that is Josh Whedon. Um <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, yes, not only did he ruin a movie, but he kind of helped ruin his career. Ruin his career same time so if you don't know what I'm talking about Google um but so Snyder is now on the outs James Gunn's in and I thought it's interesting that people are now going wow did you know they made a film together because I'm like yeah I already knew that um and so it's got a few interesting angles in the film there based on a film one of my favorites and some interesting names involved um now going
0: on off of that obviously as someone who's known you for, for a number of years now, I've known very, and you make it very clear at the, at the start of our friendship, that you were a big fan of George a. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. And what did you th- what did you initially think when this came out, 2004, what did you think of that property being re- remade for the modern audience? Because this came out two years after the, the Little Independent, Danny Boyle movie, the helped regenerate the zombie franchise 28
1: days later. Well, I mean, first things first, they aren't zombies, they're infected. So um uh, they Rage aren't dead. Movies. They aren't dead. Uh the people <laughs> in the Danny Boyle film are not dead, so they are not zombies. Um, you know, funny thing is, I didn't know this was happening at the time. I remember I went and saw this on a Thursday night at Southland. as yeah. uh, yeah. so I lived in El with my girlfriend at the time. And I think it was like a sneak peek or something like that. Mm. uh because it just came out a week later or something that's sort of one of those things they do a week ahead of advance and build some hype and i think i just saw it, read about it in the paper or something and thought fuck they may remade that film i need to go see it Mm. um interesting james gunn talks about getting hate mail from romero fans going they gave fucking the guy who wrote scooby-doo is going to write uh dawn of the dead um to be fair that's one hell of a swing that is a swing and in hindsight you go, of course james gunn would do that but like he didn't he was not you know, the person we all know now. Mm -hmm. Um, So my initial, here's the interesting thing. My initial reaction when I saw this was I fucking loved this. Mm -hmm. This film was really entertaining. and I thought while it doesn't capture a lot of the same things that the original did in the sense of, if you haven't seen the original, there's a lot of social commentary and satire um, incorporated into the film, which is what makes zombie, when when zombie films are great, that's kind of usually where they play. Mm. Yeah, this is Zack Snyder, right? He comes he's his first feature. He's yeah. come straight from doing music videos and stuff like that. James Gunn's second feature, straight out of trauma. These guys were not playing with, you know, subtle things like uh you know, social commentary, social satire mm. and you know uh, symbolism and that kind of thing. They made a balls of a wall horror action film. Mm-hmm. And initially I remember thinking they did really well. If you actually detach yourself from the thing, you know, the things that made the original really special. Mm. This film is st- I felt initially this film was still very entertaining. What's been interesting over the preceding ugh, 19 years, uh, <laughs> um, is it gets worse every time I see it. Yeah. Like, and I watching it again this week, I was like, this film really isn't very good. Like no. there are a couple of bits and pieces here that pulls off fairly nicely. Um, but as an overall package, it's fairly shallow uh-huh. and uninteresting stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think it shows some of the flaws for me in what we all came to know and hate about Zack Snyder. I mean, I don't hate Zack Snyder, but like his work uh-huh. is can be, at its worst, quite flawed. Um, you know, I, I remember you and I disagree quite deeply on Batman versus Superman, but like uh, I really didn't like what he did, pretty uh-huh. much all of his DC stuff. Um, mm. I think Snyder is a man who values uh, spectacle. He films spectacle very, very well. And it's style over substance, mm. not quite at a that De- Michael Bay level. But you know, like me, and oh, Michael Michael I Imagine if they teamed up on a movie. That would be interesting. It could be entertaining. But I mean, the thing about Michael Bay for me is right, okay. Like he's gonna kind of a punchline now. Mm. He doesn't pretend to be anything he's not. Mm, That's true. Michael Bay doesn't go around. No one's selling as you know a new my film from the author Michael Bay. You know, like it's not it's it's fun, explosions and action. Yeah. it's not gonna remake Hamlet, you know, like um so i kind of watch a Michael Bay version of Hamlet. Though. It kind of would be like that version of Hamlet in uh, you know, Last Action Hero. <laughs> to be or not to be, not to be. <laughs> um that would be entertaining, but like I remember when he took over with DC in Prometheus, he was like, "Oh, from the auteur, singular filmmaker Zack Snyder," and you know, I'm like, for me, he's made one really great film, and that film was Watchmen. Uh-huh. I know that's going to set a lot of people off, and a lot of very average films, but this one here, anyway, mm-hmm. I don't think he's. You he, he can be forgiven; it's his first feature, <laughs> but I, I think this is sets the trend. We see the him yeah. like there are some very big sort of set piece visual moments where you go. That's fucking cool yeah. if I think of the scene of the uh, the people when they escape the shopping mall in yes. the buses yes. driving through the sea of zombies. That's a pretty cool visual. Yeah. Um,
0: even and- even the, the more simplistic one of when Sarah Polly comes out of the house at the start and just that kind of panty shot of the neighbourhood and just small bits of kind of... Chaos, just
1: just to me, that, the strongest okay. part of his film. You're 100% right. The strongest part of his film is the first five to ten minutes. The mm-hmm. opening sequence of his film is inspired to yes. filmmaking. I think that's I think it, no doubt about that. Like, even Michelle, who was watching it with me, he's not a fan of um Snyder, not a massive fan of zombie films. Mm. Um, even poked up and said, Oh, that's pretty cool. At the first yeah. 10 minutes, the opening credits are super cool. Like, what he did that first 10 minutes, you that was what you made it tr- set up and go okay Uh, you're not fucking around here right like uh, unfortunately it goes downhill from there but you're uh, right the the um the film opens with Sarah Polly who's a nurse uh arriving home after a shift at work she wakes up in the middle of the night with her boyfriend husband significant other uh and they're attacked by their neighbor little girl who is a now zombified turns him into a zombie um and she manages to escape from him by quickly jumping out the bathroom window getting in their car and driving off one mm. of my favorite moments in the film actually is her boyfriend for one of the better term sprinting down the street after her she's driving away mm. only to notice a couple of doors down her neighbor standing co- looking confused on the front lawn and suddenly go eh, and just go jump just, just <laughs> yeah. go hurt, like a, Wait, a hungry dog is your a- target <laughs> um and, you know, the opening sequence of that Johnny Cash song, it's just, it's just yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the start of his film, but uh-huh. where I think we get bogged down, and I'm interested to hear what you think about it, is with the characters in the yeah. sense that, I mean, you've seen the original, correct? Uh-huh. Like we, are, we have four main characters. We spent a lot of time with those people. It's uh-huh. a longer film than this one, for sure. But yeah. We spent a lot of time with those people and we learn who they are. And, I going to sit around the bush. The people who they hired as actors in that film are fucking terrible actors. Yeah. Except for maybe Ken Foray, the other three are like pretty shit house actors and the acting's pretty bad. Yeah. But you still get to know these characters and you care about them. So when the shit hits a fan, That's- you really are on their side for them yeah. to, to survive. What's happening. But in this film, we sort of, we quickly meet Sarah Polly, who's kind of our protagonist yeah Um, and then we meet a whole bunch of other people who we never spent any time with
0: no and they're they're all they're all very paint by numbers characters um i think that i think that um anna and kenneth uh sarah polly and ving rames characters have got the best dynamic but that's not saying much in a overall very lackluster um Considering the inspired opening of the movie, I feel like the the time that we spend in the shopping mall and how they slowly build this pseudo community—it's sort of like okay. So that was you, you. Did you just use it all up at the start and then not not actually have anything interesting for the character piece, which is kind of important if you're going to be making us jump from one story to another to another to another oh doctor you got to give me something interesting and there's there wasn't even that too much of a comic relief element to
1: it It was like okay not, I mean, it's not... fair i mean you can see some of that um uh trademark gun quippiness in especially in a character like ty burrell who yeah. in another life could have been star lord not Ty Burrell himself, but the actual writing, yeah, the, that yeah, really sort of I've quippy, smart-ass nature, you put that, you, you twist that in a mean, spirited way, you get Ty Burrell here. You put that in a naive, good-natured way, you get Chris Pratt. Yeah. Um, and that quippiness, you know, like of the scene, the dinner scene where Jake Webber's describing all the jobs, Jake Webber, mm-hmm. who plays Michael, who describe Michael's character without describing his, how he looks, like he's, he's that. He, he's nice. <laughs> um, um and tyber has one of the lines of a film where he's going for over 50 different jobs, a lot of entry-level jobs he's had. He's gone, it's a damn shame that you know this whole end of a world thing got in your way. Um interesting sub-story. Apparently, Nathan Fillion auditioned for that role. Um, how much better would this film have been if that was Nathan Fillion Not dis- yeah. Jake Weber here, but like Nathan Philian just has more of a screen print. I love Nathan Fillion. Yeah, yeah. more of Nathan- more next to better um so uh, apparently they filmed other, other more material like in that section Gee, in the dinner scene. i'm so surprised zach snyder filmed more footage that didn't make it into the
0: theatrical cut touche
1: <laughs> um, um maybe they should have focused on that um but the the one that i i don't think is any controversial about me saying the characters are underwritten, underbaked, and almost, you know, you know, completely ignored in favor of zombie killing action, which maybe and- that's what people wanted. Mm-hmm. But what I think might be slightly controversial is: what did you make of the whole zombie baby subplot? Um.
0: Uh, I i i can't decide i i saw it as painfully obvious uh, in in a scenario like that you, you're sitting in a movie that is this dumb action zombie movie of course they're going to try and put something of a, of a kind of moral quandary into it and it's sort of like oh yeah let's make a pregnant woman give birth to an undead baby is it is it born with sin and to have all of this kind of thought process behind it so like mm, no i don't think they were thinking that that biblical at all and it was it felt derivative even though i don't entirely know where from it uh, and and the way that they kind of were protective of this it. like you you'd see the baby right <laughs> you 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 know what it is right you, you it's gonna it's gonna kill you have have you never played a video game have you never played silent hill <laughs> like undead babies and all sorts of shit like that if a, if a if a baby was there the color of that fucking thing with the evil like we're going to be talking about triangle of sadness later on that a triangle of hate <laughs> right. So it's like, "No, I am going to take a shovel and I am going to bury that thing as far down in the earth as I can." So it it didn't elicit anything that I was. I think they were trying to do, like it wasn't scary. It looked dumb. It wasn't it did look dumb. It wasn't morally a, a. It wasn't a moral quandary for me. It was like, okay, yeah, that's just another thing.
1: I didn't find it particularly distasteful or bothersome the first time around, mm. um, but every time I watch it again, that part of the film bothers me more. Mm. Uh, in the sense that you're right, it looks stupid. Uh-huh. Um, I think I should probably note, though, that uh, according to the trivia and IMDb, this film had its uh, budget slashed after the failure of House of the Dead a couple of years earlier. Now, come mm. on, look. I mean, I am all for. I, I'm not the biggest Zack Snyder fan here in the world, but, like, just because because an Uwe Boll film flopped, so if yeah. you don't know who Uwe Boll is. He is a uh, historically awful film director from Germany mm. who mainly makes films based on video games for super cheap um, <laughs> that great. are awful. Um, of course House of a Dead flopped. So, maybe that's why some of the effects like that didn't look so great if yeah. if it was operating on a slightly lower budget. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I, I think Mackay Pfeiffer's character is deeply underwritten in the sense that like okay you know it's a it's a classic trope oh no the person has a bite that they're hiding you know and they haven't told anybody they've been bitten it's such a trope uh and for a little bit more work into the the character between him and his wife about the nature of their relationship and how people would just be cool if the fact they hadn't seen her in a week or something like
0: yeah that didn't raise any alarm bells nothing
1: no oh okay it needed a little bit more fat in the bone there, and I mean, honestly, I think the film could have done without it. In the yeah. end, it was just sort of a precursor for them hmm. leaving the mall. But they, yeah. they really need to leave the mall because some there was it was kind of tragic. And a couple of people died in the incident, but like yeah. it, it it's it's a weak reason for wanting people to leave the mall. In the if you go back to the original, what happens is the mall is overrun by a biker gang. Mm. Raiders, and that's what sort of you know um, precipitates them leaving the mall, as yeah. opposed to just sort of one tragedy like this. Um, yeah, it it doesn't really wash for me compared to yeah. how well written the the end of the first what the original was. Mm. Um, also, I guess the mall is kind of a character again in the original, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, it's an important part of the story. It's most of the story is them and the mall the mall here is really almost a pit stop yeah like i'm gonna say it's it, probably half a third of the film takes place in, in the mall
0: yeah and it's uh, the, there's certain things where certain movies where they're set in a limited location and that offers some really interesting and challenging narrative um pathways that you can go through and in the original dawn of the dead you're right that um a shopping mall is 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 a character it is kind of well well built and constructed to be uh an instrumental part of the story Nakatomi Plaza is an inst the, the way that it's laid out the limitations of it and you know john mcclain going through the vents and things like that it's all part of the narrative it is a character unto itself even going to mall rats the 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 mall is kind of a part of it it is it is a one of the roles of the movie this it looks like a shake and bake mall that is entirely forgettable and thus it is a forgettable character in this and it, it's it's just like okay this is just for the looks this is this is a mall designed to be destroyed and the destruction looks good it's, it's not actually got any history to it none of the characters have got any particular connection to it or anything like that it, it doesn't matter it could have easily just been a school
1: for all know. in fairness in the original the characters didn't have a connection of them mall. it was just somewhere they came across as they were flying mm. away from pittsburgh um Maybe it's just a, a symptom of the fact that all malls look the same now. I mean, this was shot in Canada, uh not in the United States. Okay. Um, the original mall was just outside of Pittsburgh in a place called Monroeville. Um, but it's due to budget constraints, I guess they used what they had. Yeah. um The final act being them escaping the mall and going to the docks to get onto a boat. Uh, we talked a little about. um the scene of them escaping being really visually spectacular uh-huh. um and that still holds up uh-huh. uh in a lot of ways yeah so i mean i don't know if you noticed this but i i think it a i noticed that maybe the second or third time i saw it is there's a character one of the characters who is one of the people escaping them all dies off screen in the escape and we aren't actually alerted to that fact or shown how he died did you happen to notice that which one? Uh, Glenn, Glenn, I think he is. The, the oh, guy who's trying yeah. on the high heels in the mall. Yeah. he just He's just not there anymore. <laughs> I think it's a, short, a very quick shot of him on the ground. Yeah. And, like, I think if you, and if you read the trivia, apparently he dies of a broken neck. But we don't actually see how he does that. Like, what happens to him that causes, like, apart from... Oh, my shoelace is <laughs> on top. Like, the, tri- the van tipping over. I mean, it's... It is a bad sign when you go through a film and you want to, I mean, there's probably what, eight or nine main characters in the film. Uh, and one of them dies. <laughs> you don't even notice until you think about it later and go, oh, whatever happened to him? Like he just disappeared. Well, I mean,
0: <laughs> that that could be like for um, James Gunn's Suicide Squad, where it's like, um, the uh the weasel, you know, dies seemingly dies at the beginning of the movie and then it just cuts the later on. It just kind of shakes itself off and it's kind of playing possum. That's funny. And that kind of would be in line for James Gunn to write a character that just gets knocked out and then at the end kind of just wakes up and he's fine and
1: he just runs off. That would have been funny. Um but uh yeah I don't think that's what happened. I mean they just sort of maybe they shot a death scene and they cut it. Um, maybe one maybe. of the cool parts of a film, I think, is the chainsaw death. Yes. Of um, I don't even know the character's name. Uh I'm looking for her character <laughs> here in the trip and I don't see it. Monica. Is it Monica? I think. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. it's sliced up with a chainsaw, which is actually um spoils. It's a 2019 nineteen year old film, I can spoil it. Fine. Um and that was a cool death. I remember thinking when I saw the film the first time, that's cool. And every time I see it, I'm like, oof, it's brutal. Yeah but then it was kind of one of the few highlights
0: that the movie kind of almost wants to be more of that dumb action grindhousey kind of feel to it the the second half of it kind of it feels like it's trying to be a bit more grindhousey absurdist but it never goes all the way there and so it's kind of like uh, no nope. okay because if you're gonna have a big cast of people that we don't know about and don't really care about like at least show us some entertaining deaths and they didn't really deliver on that
1: so one or two were others were a bit cheap like uh j uh what's his name michael sort of just revealing when they get to the boat oh we've been bitten i'm just gonna stand around and be turned into a zombie you know like um yeah i think apart from the uh, Chainsaw, death. CJ had the best death scene of um, him sort of sacrificing himself with the uh, yeah. um, the gas tank uh, forever. Yeah. His arc was... I would say he's possibly the most interesting character in the film. Is His arc of starting out as an antagonist and becoming an ally to... Um, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, Sarah Polley's Anna doesn't have a lot to do mm. after the first 20 minutes. Um mm-hmm. I did like the... Well, I loved the credit sequence. I thought that was an interesting way to end the film. In a sense, the film continues through the credit sequence, mm-hmm. vignettes of their boat trip to the island. Yeah, um, I thought that was quite cool because it allowed
0: to just expand the a little bit more of the story building, utilise the time of the credits, and it gave it a suitably bleak end.
1: It's a very nihilistic film.
0: Yeah. And I think that's also a very typical trope of Zack Snyder
1: movies. <laughs> it is. I, he, he, I think he became known for that really nihilistic approach in his DC films, which yeah. I agree with a lot of people. Um, very dark ending. I, I mean, which is interesting. We can again, if we compare it, which we kind of have to, to the um, to the original. Um, it was actually a very hopeful ending in the nineteen seventy eight version. Which mm. was not the original plan. The original plan was for a much darker ending. But mm. at the last minute, they decided to do something else. And in the, again, I can spoil a 50-year-old film. <laughs> and say so they, they fly away in the helicopter at the end of uh, the original version. Mm. Uh, we don't know what happens to them, but they're alive. Whereas I don't think there's any other way to interpret this film other than to say that they do not survive. Yeah, they they they, they not live. They don't live. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's, I was a lot younger when I saw this. Um, Mm. uh, and maybe that was it, uh, being, you know, 25, 26 when it came out. Um, and this being the kind of film that maybe appeals more to a person of that age than I am now. I think what it came did. out at, at a time where it
0: was popular because the the success of 28 Days Later as that kind of gritty, scary movie and people had tried over the years since Dawn of the Dead to do scary zombie movies but there was a lot of rhetoric around it just being, oh, what's scary about a slow-shifting uh, zombie? You know, there's a similar reason why we don't really get movies about mummies because they're traditionally, you know, stiff, slow-shifting creeper monsters. Um, And then 28 Days Later came in and kind of had their twist on the genre and did their thing. And then this came out as like, oh yeah, give them a, make it it more terrifying, make them genuinely scary. And I, I think that the success of this movie, is and the the longevity of popularity of zombies and what they traditionally are so frequently used of being a social commentary catalyst i think it doesn't really gel well with blockbuster cinema which You because you end up getting things like the adaptation of What Was E? Not a good zombie movie,
1: not a good adaptation of a great book, but it made a lot of money. Yes, that it did. Uh, maybe that's the Brad Pitt factor there, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe they are better suited to television. The Walking Dead, obviously, very successful, um, Mm -hmm. still going somehow. Um, and they've got the spin offs as well, haven't they? at least what two has been us. If yeah. uh, you've ever walking dead in the other one. And we've had uh, the last of us. I'm sure it's got, you know, incredible success. And we not dead. I not zombies. fungal um, infected folk. <laughs> 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 uh, I, um it was an interesting process going back to see this again, yeah. but no, I don't feel the need to see it again now. So I think this has gone from a film. I really enjoyed to one that I, I really have no time for anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same. I'm the same. You have a key, sir, unless you have anything else you'd like to say. No, I don't. Just the revelation of what the next movie is. And in a slightly similar vein to what I chose with um, Scooby-Doo, of doing something a little different that we don't normally do, I'm going into a different area again. And it has got a good selection of actors and um a director attached that give you plenty of places to go we are following vin rames to the 2010 comedy horror as listed by imdb movie with such stars as elizabeth Shuey jerry o'connell richard Dreyfus, ving rames christopher lloyd and one of the guys who helped bring horror back to the masses somewhat, Eli Roth. We're going to Piranha 3D. Oh, good lord. 5.5 <laughs> on IMDb, 53% Metacritic score on 20 critics. After a sudden underwater tremor sets free scores of prehistoric man-eating fish, an unlikely group of strangers must band together to stop themselves from becoming fish food for the area's new razor-toothed residents. I'd
1: like to say I'm looking forward to
0: this, but I'm really not. It is available to stream on Stan. So it is readily available for everyone to watch along because I know this is going to be a big audience spinner. Of course, the oh, 2010 yes. Oh, yes. movie Piranha.
1: <laughs> but come on.
0: I mean, that, that that cast, you've got plenty of options on where to go. And it's directed by Alexandra Aya, who has become something of a bit of, um, of a modern horror go-to jack-of-all-trades horror director with such things as he did the um the daniel radcliffe starring horns um he did uh mirrors hills have eyes remake high tension he's done some interesting things but never really shown particular talent but
1: we're gonna have fun (laughs) well well, yes one could define many different ways but um yes that is definitely going to be a film um well, a technically, that's what qualifies as a, technically film. a film um yeah. on the it plus have, side you know, it is only
0: it. an hour and 28 minutes
1: that is pleasing because i think maybe we can use this as an excuse to move sideways into something that's not an hour and 28 minutes that we saw no. the other night De- yeah, it is definitely not an hour and 28 minutes long. So we are talking about the film, your issues of the cinema again, the second time in a month, I think, which is kind of special for us. Yeah. Um, I haven't been to the cinema twice in a month for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw John Wick, Chapter 4. Yes. Uh, the latest in the uh, ongoing saga of uh, Mr. Wick. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a lazy two hours and 49 minutes long uh chad stahelski directing again mr Reeves starring again launch fishburne um a uh, the usual shane mcshane that's ready. lost last role yeah passed away recently john wick uncovers a path to defeating the high table but before he can earn his freedom wick must face off against a new enemy with powerful alliances across the globe and forces to turn old friends into foes uh-huh. Uh, have a notable addition to the cast here this time is Danny Donny yen mm-hmm. uh, as the character of Kane if you mm-hmm. don't know Donnie yen you're probably not a kung fu movie fan because the guy yeah. is kind of legendary but he wrote yeah. one Rouge one a Star Wars story um he was in as the blind yes the forces with me the forces one of the force the forces with me guy oh thats um, um so are you a big fan of the previous three films?
0: Um, the first one was entertaining for what it was. The second one up the ante and it was more of what you expected. The third one was more, more of what you expected. And the fourth one is more, more, more of what you expected. Except reality is the thing that this movie doesn't deal with (laughs) and um so like consequences is a fluid option (laughs) um if that's one way of putting it yeah and and you know there's there's certain things like that that idea of oh this is the fourth and final one so we're going to indulge ourselves a little bit more this is an action movie hedonism festival because everything goes on for far too long.
1: Everything. Oh, I 100% agree. So just to be comparison here, John Wick no. one hour 41 minutes, John Wick two, two hours and two minutes, John Wick three, two hours and 10 minutes, John Wick four, two hours and 49 minutes. So it's almost about full half an hour uh, on top or more than half an hour, It's in about 50, 40 minutes on top of the third, third one, which I remember finding getting quite bored. Uh-huh. the third one, personally, I liked the first one a lot more than I ever expected to because it sounded stupid. Yep. Um, and then when I saw it, I'm like this is actually a lot of fun. The yep. second one I thought was a lot of fun too, mm-hmm. and because you're right, they just did the same things again and up the ante a little bit, and they didn't push it too far. They didn't mm-hmm. get too far for an ass with it. Um, third one really started to lose it for me. Mm-hmm. I'd be I could be wrong here because I haven't gone back and watched this, the first and the second one in a while, but. I feel like the third one was it really started to take its law and you know, the law of the high table and the hotels and the medallions and all the, how it all worked in the history of all this and the history of where John Wick came from and all that kind of bizzo seemed to be taken a lot more seriously in the third one. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I felt like it and I am open to being proven wrong because it's been so long since I saw the others. I feel like that's when it really started to come to the That They kind of thought, well, we've been so successful i want to pump all this backstory mm-hmm. into it which i that's don't know if, they don't care about it for me yeah but that's that's the
0: big the big thing for the first one they had interesting subtle world been building law of you know it's it's that element of the man with no name in many ways Of we don't know anything about East was the
1: man with no name
0: in in his spaghetti western trilogy and there's an allure to that it's just a guy going into these being being thrust into these scenarios and that's what john wick is and then we suddenly see he's his gold coins and he goes to the continental and they have certain phrases like this is um sanctified land that um, a business does not get operated on and um the concierge um chiron lance reddick rest in peace He's like ah, oh, will you be needing um, all of this stuff? He's he's talking about, it. and it's just that subtle stuff that just feeds the story, keeps the story going because gives John John Wick the guns that he needs to kill people. But it's also so like that's actually a really cool idea. If there are these continental hotels where Hitman can go be safe. And regroup to go out and do do their work again. That's that's cool. And oh the idea of this eponymous high table? That's that's cool. You don't need to explain it anymore. But then for every consecutive movie afterwards, they've been in the writers' room and it's going, ah. The high table. Yeah. How many people sit at this high table? And every movie there's gone more and more from action movie to
1: live action film video game wait and you know what's weird is that i don't think there has been a john wick video game yet there has, has john there? wick hex i
0: think it was um never heard of it let me i'll i'll find it what what um, were your so, thoughts
1: on john wick so it's my initial thought. We had this conversation in the Four River Cinema <laughs> as soon as we left, and uh you, myself, yourself, and Crystal all said the same thing. How long was that film? That one was way too long. That's my initial thought in this film. Any quality this film may have is is overshadowed by the gargantuan length of the film. Yes. Um, and it's a common complaint. Most people are probably he- mm-hmm. listening to the show well used to me our number one line it, because I think it's a it gets getting worse we talked about it last year when uh, Matt Reeves Batman was three hours long when it absolutely didn't need to be um this kind of self-indulgence of um, people who think they're going to make a three-hour epic um when we're gonna be happy with you know an hour 40 max two hours you know there's a skill to telling a story in a in a stra- constrained space and look if this is Tolkien, you know, and, and not everyone likes Tolkien, but like the Peter Jackson films were great. And there are, I think there are roughly three hours or so each, but it's fucking Tolkien, right? Like the guy is a very dense writer. Uh-huh. And they have some of the most beloved stories of all time. And that's the real appeal is the story there. um Chad Stahelski is not Peter Jackson. Nope. And John Wick is not Lord of the Rings. You do not need three hours to tell this story. No. So that is my first thought is like, I don't care how good this film is now, how exciting the action might be, it does not need to be three hours long. And it was annoying. And there were so many points in the film you could have gone, man, you could have hacked five minutes out there, ten minutes out there. And again, every time a film this long comes out, I say the same thing. But uh-huh. it was it was really offensively long and it didn't yeah. need to be and it didn't help because I was exhausted by the time I finished. I'm like, fucking finishery. To the yeah. point where I think there were after credit scenes, and I couldn't be bothered hanging around. Um, really? I think there might have been. Don't quote me. Uh, no. I thought I read there were. <sighs> uh, I'm going to stay in the negative, and because that's where I live. Yeah. Um, can I just uh, take a time out for a second? And say I didn't hate this film. No. I liked a lot of what this film did, but my first thought being, it's just so long. I'm like, fuck you. I don't want to hang around this film for three hours. That's too long. Uh-huh. um but i still liked a lot of what it did but um is it me or is Keanu really slowing down like i felt like his movement in his film was a lot less fluid uh than in previous i mean previous he's years. just getting older well that's fine i do not have a problem with him getting older obviously like everyone loves Keanu and you know i i think he is a fine actor and yeah. i enjoy most of what he does he he's almost 60 um And it's a little bit like, I wonder what they're going to do with Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones later this year, guy in his fucking eighties. And is he going to be like punching Nazis in the face still? Like really going toe for toe with giant Nazis again? Like, (laughs) uh, like, um, it's kind of ridiculous. uh, But like, it doesn't, I guess, so it just feeds into one of my other criticisms: His suspension of disbelief in this film is broken um so for me one of the first thing i'm thinking is he's moving really slowly like a lot of his fight moves and his grappling moves in the fight scenes feel slow and clunky to me he doesn't feel in the previous films he felt like a smooth killing machine you know like a real badass like you could almost go wow look i mean maybe he can take on 15 gods at once because like He's just that good at, at these fighting moves. But a lot of the moves in this one felt slow, slow. Like they had these other henchmen with guns sitting on the side going, I'll let him throw him over there. But when, when he's done throwing my mate over the fence, he's fucked. I'm going to shoot him. Like, like, mm. it, just, it just didn't feel like, you're like, well, why are they shooting him now? Why is everybody standing around waiting? And it's not like a, you know, a, a cheap 70s, like... It's like the crazy
0: '88s. Like, why, why are there so many just, like... Hanging around, at least with the crazy ADs, they're swinging bloody swords. You don't want to get in the way of a sword. There is you you don't have to get close and personal with a gun.
1: You can. I found myself thinking of a crazy eighty-eight scene quite a bit during this. Mm. Like I, I don't think any of the fight scenes in this film compared to that. No. Um, but I am Tarantino fanboy hat. Mm. um But uh, that was part of it. The other one is that He first of all he got thrown off a building or shot off a building. At the end of the last film, like a really tall building, he did, <clears throat> and fell. And we saw him at the in, on the ground. And like at the start of his film, he's just alive. And mm-hmm. we it's uh, Lawrence Fishburne's uh, character who saves him. See now, the the thing you're forgetting, Travis, and
0: and not many people seem to know this, but um, bulletproof suits also protect you from any harm apparently so um it, it, no bruising no like like john wick can walk away from being run over by a car with less Ooh, than me getting out of bed in the morning
1: well that's a i should explain that so he's just alive again at the start of the film and you're like <laughs> you're gonna have any explanation about why he su- survived yeah. that fall no they're gonna have any explanation why he survives at least one maybe two very similar falls in this film like at one point in the uh, as a fight in in a nightclub in berlin which is also ridiculous because there are people dancing in this nightclub and there's this giant fight going on in the middle of it everyone's just like yeah whatever
0: clearly you've Um, never been to um a berlin rave my friend
1: no i haven't i know people are pretty high but um (laughs) (laughs) he's thrown off a really high like balcony sort of thing again and just gets up and brushes it off and in the later scene, um, in a very good scene at the uh, Arc de Triomphe yep. where they have a, a really cool fight sequence in amongst the cars doing around the roundabout, I think it's in that where he's thrown, he's basically hit by a car yeah. a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken, and thrown yeah. into a van and like, brush himself off and just keeps going. And I'm like, he's not Superman, guys. F- he- but
0: but you, you're forgetting something. another thing. Not only is he wearing the bulletproof suit, but clearly... As demonstrated by the dog's involvement in that sequence, cars don't hit as hard as you think,
1: sir. Maybe if they're French, special French cars, they just surrender as soon as it they hit someone. It just um, you know, <laughs> oh, No, no, it's hit someone, I surrender. It's um, a safety protocol, you know, we just hit something and go boing. <laughs> uh, I don't know, like, it's it just gets to the point you're like, this is just a bit too silly, guys, like, you know, in in a Marvel film, at least they are superheroes, right? They have yeah some form of you know a suit or a superpower or magic. John Wick something. is a mutant. Maybe that would be a kind of interesting crossover, but um, he has been looking for something to do in the MCU. Uh, um, but they're no to be Wolverine, and in this movie, he
0: he puts Wolverine
1: through his paces. Uh, yes. Uh, if, he was, if he had adamantium bones, that might be an explanation, but uh, he does not as far as I know. So it's kind of like, well, how is this working? You know, like, um, yeah. is, there, is there some reason why he can do these things that we don't know about? And maybe I'm not supposed to care, uh. but I'm stupid. I don't know. You can't, it's the suspension of disbelief. You can go into a film and believe it's not real. It is, yeah. you know, it's not real, but like you don't care because you're enjoying the story or, the, the internal logic of the story allows this to happen. There mm. is internal logic about why he can survive these things. He just can't. Yep. And that includes the, reasons. the fight sequence down the stairs. Um, you know, uh, which was an interesting idea of a fight sequence on the stairs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I tell you what... You we, know what I got um,
0: flashes of with the first time he went up the stairs? Was the... Corridor sequence from Old Boy. That idea of just this persistent fight going along, and they kind of echoed trying to do something similar in uh, the Netflix Daredevil show with the uh, with the kind of corridor fight sequences there, where they did really really well for that as well as in Old Boy. This is like okay, that fight sequence, sure. Okay, he's fighting all the way up. That's that's good. It's you know the like Atlas shoving a boulder up up the mountain, um, you know, to defy the gods and all of that sort of stuff. But then it's like, okay, just kick. And I don't know if you heard me in the cinema, when he started rolling down the stairs,
1: I just started singing the Benny Hill theme. <laughs> I, I think I can actually share uh, a, a part of the sequence so people can see what I'm talking about here. Uh, this is the John Wick section of him... Downstairs. Ah! Uh... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Before we um... get copyright back. Ah, you bet. That was the first thing I thought of when I saw that. It's just someone needs to do, uh, put that sound effect over him being thrown down the stairs. Um, <laughs> I've been negative so far. Look, um, cool shit in this film. There's a sequence, and this is interesting because I think you're going to differ to me in this one. There is a sequence, a fight sequence, where they, do, they shot it a little bit differently. It was shot a little bit like Hotline Miami in the video yeah. game. Where the camera almost looks at it from a top down, God's eye perspective of a fight scene. I thought that was really cool, really original, and it kind of livened up the scene for me because it was the first time we were getting that fight, it was getting a little bit old at that point in time. So it did something interesting and different there. I think you didn't like that though. I liked it for about two minutes, and then it just kept going.
0: And very quickly, it got very boring because I love those top down shooters. They're really cool. They're really fun because you're just going through and you're wrecking shit. You're seeing sort of like shit just get knocked off the walls and all of that sort of stuff. You feel like a badass. I want to play that. I don't want to just watch it and be a, a passive viewer of it. It's like, okay, just do that. And the fact that they had the, the dragon's breath kind of thing, that looked cool. But it was sort of like, all right, you needed to... Because there, there was this... Um, the bit that i really liked was where he kind of came up the stairs and was shooting kind of he was using a normal gun and then he was using the dragon's breath to go so like up and up and the camera kind of panned up and through and there was more movement rather than just it looking down and just tracking him which was boring the verticality made it feel interesting and exciting and it's like okay that's cool this this is and it didn't just make it feel like, oh, they're doing this just to show off choreo- uh, choreography with weapons. And M- M- Michelle made a very good point of like, they did not skimp on the safety protocols compared to the movie Rust. Too
1: soon. That didn't bother me at all. I, I didn't find it boring. I thought it was interesting, and it was so different. than mm. something we had, not and it was such like a change, a nice change from the way most of the fight sequences were filmed. Um, and it was, it was a break. It, f- it freshened things up for me. Yeah. Other things I liked. Bill Skarsgård. I think he was very decent in this film. I think a l- I've seen a lot of people complain, or people who didn't like the film, complain that he was didn't add much. I thought, I think he does what he does very well. In a sense, yeah. he plays a villain very well. Do yeah. you want to dislike this guy. Yeah. Uh, he plays this sort of snooty, aristocratic, marquee, with a level of arrogance and that really makes you want to see cop it. so which yeah. of course he does in yen because um you know like i mean come on um so i thought that was an interesting addition donnie yen like i am not a kung fu aficionado like i, I um he's working i'm assuming they're hong kong films or chinese hey. films uh, yeah, Ip Man, the Ip Man series. I've not seen any of those. Uh, Ip Man movies are really good. But
0: his introduction was really, really great in this movie. He's he's great. And they're already talking about possibly he, he wants to do, he'd be up down for doing a spin-off following Kane. But going back to your to- uh, conversation about Keanu looking slow, Donnie Yen is so damn fast. Yes. And it looks awesome. It looks beautifully powerful and graceful and so, he's just so quick and it it just makes everyone else around him look kind of rubbish which i mean he's done again he's he's a master it's that's what he does <laughs> so it's not you know it's, it's not necessarily so sort of like oh well he we should have done something but he's
1: not the main character no, but he, he really adds a nice angle. So mm. him, the idea of him being a former friend and colleague of John's, yet being tasked to kill him, uh-huh. uh, makes him an interesting uh, sort of free radical in this film in a lot of ways. Because he, we know he will kill John if he has to to save uh-huh. his daughter, which is his motivation. Um, but we know he doesn't really want to kill John. Uh-huh. So he, we know there's an opportunity to help him or to get out of what he is doing. But uh-huh. his you know, need to kill John, we like he will. Um, yeah. And I like that, and I think the scene where they fight up the stairs together at the end is, uh, hmm. is a good one. Um, what did you think of the other um,
0: the other John Wick friend of uh, Shima- uh, Shimaza, played by
1: Hiroki Sanada? Uh, I mean, it was fine, I guess. Um, again, that made me think about... Um, uh you know you know whether he was using a hattori hanzo sword or something else um it uh i I don't i feel like he's popped up a bit lately it also reminded me of something that it shouldn't have reminded me of in the sense that it made me think of bullet train which controversially i think is a much better film than this one i feel like it it knows it's a bullet train knows
0: its absurd level and just goes, yep, that's that's where we are, and that's what we that's what you
1: are here for. And John Wick kind of takes himself too seriously. I feel like John Wick uh, takes himself very, very seriously now. Like I know the, we're the, supposed the, to
0: be the vestiges on Clancy Brown's character, where he's literally just talking and being the guy who's just saying okay, because his introduction is really cool and his name, mm-hmm. the Harbinger. It's really cool. It's like fuck. It's Clancy Brown. That's cool, and he's called the Harbinger, and he just delivers a a, an hourglass. That's cool, but then he does nothing
1: cool. What's yeah? No,
0: Clancy
1: Brown for the original Kurgan. Uh, I was glad to see him. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the whole. Frankly, you could have probably yada 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 the whole sequence in Japan. It doesn't add much. um interesting i was expecting uh that character's daughter who survives that scene to come back and i think she might have been in one of those credits credits, yeah so um it you don't want to you don't want your actors to remind you i guess i will be one of very very few people i think who says bullet trains a better film than this one but it it successfully reminded me remember how bullet train was like really fun and goofy and it didn't take itself at all seriously. And mm. it was, it had funny characters and then the fight scenes were ridiculous, but you you know, they were hanging on to the front of a fucking moving bullet train that you didn't care because it was having so much fun at the same time. The film was having fun, not going, wow, this is all part of, you know, some very deep lore half written by some guy, you know, who, you know, saw death machine once but the sound was off but he think he got the gist of it you know like i don't know like it it's it's just takes itself so fucking seriously i was like can we just have some fun like remember how the first one was fun i also don't like how john wick doesn't feel like the hunter anymore he's the baba yaga right but the, the yeah. bogeyman in the first one he was like oh my god you can't believe you pissed this guy off he's never the hunter anymore he's always the hunted yeah and
0: that's you you only get a slight hint of that right near the end, where um, the marquis is. Uh, it, it's one of the the fun, the the fun phone interactions between Mister Nobody and the marquis, and the marquis is phoning him, just saying do do this and it's Like no, this is this is my money, uh, thirty million. Hang up, and the 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 the, the evolving panic and fear in the marquee as it's like i've thrown paris at this guy and he's still coming that was the one time where you kind of think yeah that's that's a good point that, that everyone has gone up against this guy and he's still
1: going yes you should be scared <laughs> But I, that- I do um i think we gotta try and wrap this up we're gonna get on we oh, we've yes. got to yeah. snappy but i just wanted to call out and get your opinion on mm. um v- apparently the inspiration for this film was the warriors the warriors uh one of again one of my favorite films from the late 70s mm-hmm. um if you haven't seen it youtube the the, the trailer it's a masterpiece mm-hmm. um and there's actually a direct rip from the from the warriors in the Paris sequence where we have a radio announcer going hey barbers there's this guy you know trying to escape and playing nowhere to run to which I. Think happened in the Warriors as well, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs>
0: um,
1: I found myself going initially, uh, oh, it's the Warriors. Okay, you're just going to use the same basic plot device as the radio host. Okay, but then I found myself thinking this film would have been a lot more entertaining if the whole film was like the Warriors, like John Wick trying to fight his way from one side of Paris to Sacré Coeur. Well, that was the film, rather than fucking around in Berlin and Tokyo and New York and stuff. But and randomly, you make the of... desert. Sorry, randomly the desert as well. Randomly the desert, and you know, I could have lived without the baseball furies again. Sorry, warriors reference there. So if you haven't seen it, you won't know. <laughs> what did you make of that? Um, that homage. Um, it's there's, there's a number of like this movie
0: kept on reminding me of other movies and much like matrix um for whatever re refinanced um yeah. that movie was literally showing you sequences from the first matrix movies going oh yeah i'd rather watch that movie i felt the same thing here it's so like okay yep you're doing homages but these other movies just did it kind of better which is yeah if if John McFour had kind of cut down every action sequence by five minutes it would be a much more manageable length and it would feel better it feels hefty and bloated and so anytime that there are these homages it's like, oh yeah they use their time better
1: well they didn't have the luxury of the kind of budget that Chad Stahelski has now yeah um and again it's a little bit like Somebody who's been given money that they'd never had when they made the first one, you know, when they originally came up with the concept. And
0: yeah
1: uh well, the original Warriors from nineteen seventy-nine is an hour thirty-three minutes and it is a dense hour thirty-three minutes of non-stop balls of a wall action. With uh-huh. none of an I mean, none of the law that this sorry, I'm going on about the law. I really shouldn't. But anyway, like I don't mind John Week 4. If you uh-huh. like the last one, you'll love this one probably. Most people are loving it. Yeah, I thought it was okay, but just too long for me to abide. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't recommend it at this length personally, but mm. take that recommend lack of recommendation with a grain of salt. In it, mm. so many people I've seen online are saying it's an action masterpiece. Mm. I I don't think it's worthy of that because when I think of action masterpieces, I think of Mad Max Fury Road, or Die Hard, <laughs> or yeah. The Warriors, for example. Yeah. I mean, I personally would call that a yeah nice but anyway what is we we, we what are you sneaky we don't want to keep going on and on and on, and on. you know like if you disagree with us then don't let's hate talk us, about but... the he's <laughs> trying to get now for something completely different
0: yes something entirely completely different triangle of
1: sadness uh, just a uh, miss is a an english language, first english language film by like he's Norwegian director, Ruben Ostlund. And uh, he has made a number of uh, foreign language films, one of which I saw called Force Majeure. Mm. Uh, And he's sort of really well known for, he's Swedish. Sorry, my bad, not Norwegian. They're all the same, Travis. Same, same. Uh, (laughs) I like to make an apology to all our Norwegian friends. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, A fashion model, celebrity couple, joining the eventful cruise. Ever super rich faces and names you will know in this film. Woody Harrelson, yes. End of list. (laughs) And he's not even in it for very long. Nope. Faces and name he will know soon. Uh Harris Dickinson plays Carl, who is sort of our protagonist. I think he Uh is going to be a bit of a star. Um
0: i wouldn't be surprised if someone at marvel reaches out to him for something
1: because he's got the look i think he used to be a model uh and i don't think he's a bad actor i think he did okay in this film with a an interesting an interesting role um it's hard to know what to make of this one so that synopsis is a little bit like that time we watched the um the film about the Korean farmers, where like a Korean person moves to the American, starts a farm. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit more than that. Um, <laughs> uh, Robert uh, Ruben Ostlin's wickedly funny palm all winner, social hierarchy is turned upside down, revealing the tawdry relationship between power and beauty. Celebrity model couple uh, Carl and Yaya are invited on a luxury yacht for the Uber Rich Helmway, and unhinged boat captain, playboy Woody Harrelson. What first appears in an Instagramable, what appeared Instagramable ends catastrophically. Leaving survivors stranded on a desert island fighting for survival. Hmm. It's a very odd, odd film, but I think it's saying a lot about class. And personally, I think I might have something to say about how that played out during the pandemic. And that's just my opinion. I don't know when it was written. But we have the uber good-looking couple of models, um, as I said, played by Carl, played by... Harris Dickinson and Yaya played by I say Charlie Dean there's a b in there but I don't really exactly know how I'm going to supposed to pronounce that. Uh sadly she passed away before this film was released. Um oh, yeah. Um, which is uh, again yeah, too goodness me. Really. Quite young. Um yeah. uh, and they are a couple of models. They we see them fighting at the start of a film about money. Um, mm. but they make up and end up going on this cruise together which they are given tickets to because their influences yeah. uh and the people on the boat are incredibly rich people yeah. uh we meet in like a, i sell shit. yes uh dimitri played by the uh well-known uh Zluckio Burek, who is a fertilizer salesman and has both his um wife and his mistress on the same cruise he, um uh, you <laughs> You might have seen this like going film like 2012 um you won't recognize him okay. uh it's hard to describe this film exactly um yeah what what is your like what do you think the point of this movie is just how would you how would you sum it up i think the way that it's t- talking about is it's it's difficult to, it, it remember in a pandemic, where all of a sudden, at the start of this pandemic in this or that, it's still this um, in 2020, three years ago now, Mm. uh, when we started the chain, believe it or not, people, um, all of a sudden, people who had been dismissed as low skilled, superfluous, you know, um, overlooked type people, Mm. store delivery drivers, you know, train drivers, you know, that kind of thing, uh, food delivery drivers, abattoir workers, you know, factory workers, who make food, you know, that kind of thing, you know, fruit pickers, you know, that kind of stuff. Lowest of a low sort of level jobs, as we would sort of put them at low paid, low prestige jobs. Uh, All of a sudden, these people were really fucking important. People yeah. who stock the shelves at your supermarket became really important. The people who drive the trucks full of shit from a warehouse became important. The people who work at those warehouses become important. The people who work at the abattoirs, the supply of the warehouses became really fucking important. And what happened to them mattered for the first time in living memory, really. And, you know, I remember sort of seeing things kicking around at the time going, you know, isn't this really interesting? It's shining a spotlight right now on exactly how fucking useful is a ceo or a cfo right like i mean to everyone's day-to-day lives you know i mean to a degree i guess keeping x company profitable so it doesn't collapse is probably a good thing for people who work there but Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day thing what impact do these super high lawyers you know really hot that kind of thing what do they really do for you in your life how useful are they to our society useful enough that they have they're paid a lot of money but in, to, when in the when the chips are it down they're worthless right the yeah. the billionaires are useless yeah. um the the guy who can knows how to you know fit uh, string up and cut up a cow so you can get the edible parts of it that's fucking useful the guy who is prepared to deliver food to your supermarket in the middle of a pandemic that's useful so i'm going on a little bit here <laughs> i think that's what the film's sort of talking about if we get to the the crux of a film we see the the luck the level of luxury provided to the uber rich on the boat but mm. um i guess you know, spoil it a little bit here people so you could keep walking if you don't want to know um after the boat sinks and the the what's the survivors are washed up on the island the lowest of a low, who was like a the maid's assistant or something, I think it was like a, no, a toilet cleaner or something. Yeah. A toilet technician or something, a toilet cleaner became basically their queen because she was the only one who had the skill set on how to survive. To on, start a fire and catch fish. Start a fire and catch fish was her skill set. But that made her the most valuable person on that island who had survived. You know, these super rich Russian guy, worthless. The, uh, the, the beautiful awesome. couple of influencers, worthless. The, the woman who used to run the crew on the boat, worthless. You know, it was all the IT guy who sold his company for billions of dollars, worthless. It was all that down to that one woman who knew how to do what was necessary to survive. Mm-hmm. And I think it's making a point about that. That was my takeaway from this is it, um, the, p- the pandemic showed us a truth. Is that, um, and I ain't gonna include myself in this, that my skill set in a zombie apocalypse would be fucking worthless. I, you would not want, I met someone today at a work function, used to do clay target shooting. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, that person I wanted my zombie apocalypse team because they have a useful skill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do <did> not. <laughs> um, so that was my takeaway is that like we've been shown whoever valuable people are amongst us in the end of, at the end of the day, the skills that these people have these people people who we look down on are crucial to us and in certain circumstances are irreplaceable Mm. and we and when the chips are down is when you find out which skills and what people really matter Mm. that is a much better explanation of
0: what this movie is than i was able to come up with because finished it and crystal asked me what was the message of that movie? Like, um, I think it's had something to do with class. I think <laughs> trying to say a lot of things, but I, I, I don't know if it quite succeeded in any of them. I like, I didn't like this movie, and I th- I think I didn't like it because. Maybe my, my own expectation was warped because I was kind of anticipating something along the lines of Chris Morris or Armando Anucci style parody and farce. And that isn't this. It's not really funny in any way. It's, it's certainly not laugh-out-loud funny. There's elements of, huh, to it. Like the, 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 the twist of power with um, the, the, the toilet cleaner becoming the queen and starting this matriarchy, essentially. Um, and the, the sequence, just the little conversation where she says, oh, I'm the one who starts the fires, I'm the one who cooks the fish, I should get something a little bit more for that. And so the influencers are like, yep, the only thing that I can offer is sex and it's like okay yep that's that's interesting but at the same time the way the movie ends which i won't go into full details for for you know just for protection of the movie um what do you think? because it kind of takes i feel like the the mess the the idea that you presented of this being kind of an allegory for for covid i think it makes that much more and that makes more sense to me the way that it ends and what it means to the characters and what it means happen what happens what's likely going to happen to them after the movie rolls and it's like okay that now makes more sense but as i was watching it it was like hmm, i don't I don't entirely know what's going on i was i was interested in the sequences with woody harrelson and, and um the the russian oligarch kind of guy uh where is he uh dimitri where they're just drunk talking about socialism and capitalism and things like that i thought that was funny and an interesting twist on sort of like the the marxist american socialist versus the the capitalist russian kind of thing that was like okay that's kind of cool and they're they're talking and it's entertaining but I don't quite know
1: why I don't think I'm smart enough for this movie I think you're not supposed to enjoy it is my theory I think I saw one of these previous films called force majeure a few years ago Uh. and it's kind of designed to make you uncomfortable Uh. um and I think so I think if it's made you uncomfortable then I think it's done its job I also did not think it was particularly funny. People going, oh, it's uproariously funny. And I'm like, okay, it's like the Banshees have been and Like when people who said that was funny, I'm like, yeah, I didn't laugh very much. I didn't, it wasn't even like a, eh, yeah, it's funny. Like I didn't get any of the funny from that. I didn't get a lot of funny from this. Mm. Um, it is interesting that the V final sequence, which we won't spoil, but I think I'll say this apparently according to the actor involved she did what you think she was going to do mm.
0: um,
1: but I, I think it's an interesting microcosm of, of the you know the, the ignorance of a rich when mm. you know the character says what she says that i am think very cryptic here uh, yeah. says what she says that it makes the thing happen yeah. um, and you can imagine I found myself going oh that person's so stupid why would you do that? Yeah, you know, don't you know what the consequences of doing that thing will be? Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it must be very imagine being that person for a moment, imagine being the lowest of a low, suddenly ruling over, you know, these yeah. rich, powerful people. Um, briefly even putting giving that up would be very, very difficult yeah. to do. Yeah. Um no, interesting. It, it's it's. I, I recall a story. I'll, I'll be quick. But uh, you do you know who Kerry Packer is or was? Mm, name rings a bell for some reason, but I don't know why. He was he was a very he was a Australia's sort of very rich man who he used to live. He owned like Channel Nine, and he owned okay. a lot of magazines and stuff like that. His son James Packer you might have heard of as well. He oh yeah, Jacob Casino. was married to. He was hooked up with Mariah Carey for a while as well. Uh, interestingly, so Kerry used to have heart problems, um, yeah. once point where went before he died. <laughs> um, and he yeah, is a famous story. I don't know how true it is. So don't come at me if it's not. I remember hearing a story that he got to rush to hospital once from wherever he was, had his clothes cut off and basically they saved his life. But he, when he left the hospital, he basically, this is pre mobile phones, had left in a hospital gown and had, you know, no way to actually pay for a cab or any way to get home. And asked someone for cab fare who recognized him and gave him fifty dollars for the cab and and you gave his name and address, and then a couple of days later he got a check for like a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. It <laughs> I might be missed, but you know, that was a story of it reminding me of of this them stuck in the island and her lording it over these people seemed very short-sighted to me because you know, the, uh, yeah. the, the the pragmatist in me would go, okay, lord it over a bit, but don't forget, one day yeah you're getting off the island and you want these people on your side yeah. that was a part that also actually kind of bothered me a bit when I mean, this is the fact there's always super rich people billionaires apparently mm-hmm. who have been their boat is sunk and no one finds them yeah like it's like they would have know where that ship was right because like, those things have beacons and satellite shit and when they go down they have little satellite doohickeys and mm. imagine if you know, like, and it didn't. Seem like they were on the on the boat for long either. No, it didn't seem like they were out in the middle of the Atlantic, or you know, that's not Gilligan's Island or anything here. It's like, uh, imagine if it was some, you know, I don't know, Bill Gates kind of level character, maybe not quite that famous, but you know. um billionaires went missing. They're not going to fucking just go, oh, well, fuck them. The people may to look for them, right? So yeah. the fact that they were there for so long without anybody finding them was, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I believe that. That was the part that seemed a little bit convenient for me. Um, I can't say, I mean, this is a very uncomfortable film to watch. Some, the scenes during the storm on the boat are cringeworthy to the extreme. But that's for a reason, right? The the should we say it's almost Mr. Creosote level of uncomfortable <laughs> viewing, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh no. Uh,
1: George, George I, got that on.
0: I did not find that sequence cringeworthy. Um it it was it was comical. And it was I I don't know it kind of, <laughs> kind of reminded me of like I was looking at it thinking so like oh, this is a little bit like something like the young ones or something like that um and it it just seemed kind of of it it felt felt like it was taken out of a different movie and I don't I, I so much of this movie seems to be designed to elicit or express something important that the writer director wanted to say and i don't entirely know the meaning of why that was i did like when when the food was being handed out and uh, woody Harrison's character got burger and chips okay that's nice <laughs> i i like that that, that was a, that was a cute little moment but um yeah i i just this movie didn't gel with me in any way shape or form i didn't think it was good i don't think anyone did a good job acting in it really um i i I felt like this was definitely not a movie for me and yeah i don't i i i don't think it's designed for me
1: it's an acquired taste, just to know uh, that, I mean, in case I, I think I deliberately uh, inflicted something of poor quality on George. Uh, no, I'm it, we he only does um I, 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 when just he wasn't. wants to laugh at me. It, it was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director at the Oscars this year, so it's uh, yeah. not to say it's good. I can see it, it, it is, mm. I think there's a lot going on in this film, and it can take away kind of what you want from it, but yeah. I don't... Do not go into this film expecting an easy watch yeah yeah you're not gonna um, get it
0: no no it's you kind of left scratching your head at the end of it it's like i'm not sure what i watched i i think what was it about this i don't know <laughs> but
1: anyway. um anyway it's 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 unique <laughs> I, yeah. I could say yeah it's, uh, it's it, it it it's a
0: it it's definitely something that I watched, and that's the end of that
1: statement. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked it a lot more than George. I think there's I think there's a lot of subtlety and satire going on about class and this. I have trouble quite verbalizing exactly what it is because I'm pretty stupid. Um, so that was just what made me. I don't know whether the director intended to ape that that oh. idea of COVID really shining the light on what is what society really needs from people. But that was what it made me think of anyway. Uh, so we'll bury that one. We won't bring out one up again. But what we will do is move on to binge, browse, burn before we lock it up for another week.
0: burn.
1: Yeah. So what have you got for entries? I have a couple to start with. And the first one's a binge entry, though you're oh. not allowed to binge it uh, because it's one of those annoying ones. It's coming out week by week. Ugh. And this is the new Bob Odenkirk show, Lucky Hank. Uh, you can watch Lucky Hank in Australia on Stan, streaming a new episode every week. An English department chairman with an underfunded college, Professor Hank Devereaux, toes the line between midlife crisis, full-blown meltdown, navigating the offbeat chaos in his personal and professional life. We're only two episodes up so far, so mm-hmm. it might be me getting ahead of the game, but I'm really digging this. This is a suitably antagonistic role for someone like bill odenkirk cranky cynical sarcastic everything you love about the man um he's also a a uh well, a blocked writer it's about he's an english professor who wrote one novel uh, 20 30 years ago never wrote a follow-up even though he's working on it um you know he's the son of a much much more prof- much more famous and successful father who he has no relationship with. He has a difficult or a a relationship with his wife. It could be approaching difficulty. Uh, his colleagues don't particularly like him. His students absolutely don't like him. In fact, one of the common one of the arcs seems to be a particular student who he tells exactly what he thinks of his writing, who is he, uh, sort of a typical Gen Z entitled. Oh, okay person you know like I, I don't know if they're actually trying to do that but he kind of looks exactly like the kind of person who would try and cancel his, his high, university professor for criticizing his writing um which is you know notably awful um it's other than Bob Odenkirk I don't think you're gonna know a lot of faces in here uh I'm gonna say it I'm really digging the first two episodes okay. uh if this was if this was available all at once, I would have smashed, but uh, it's not, so I just have to be patient.
0: Okay, okay. Um, my uh, my first th- um, one for today is uh, season two of Shadow and Bone. It is the follow-up to a young adult book series that has been adapted to the big screen. I talked about the first season um, I think it was last year, maybe a year and a half ago at this point um it was pretty good it was interesting there was a like interesting kind of Prussian vibe to some of the nations that were in there this expands on that overall um but at the same time it kind of um loses itself in the weeds a little bit introducing a few too many characters and expecting us to key to be interested in them when they're not necessarily interesting characters or not fully fleshed out characters um, this is definitely a browse for me because it is a, a time investment, and it's it's not trying to be highbrow. It's not trying to be award worthy or anything like that. This is a cut above CW, shall we say?
1: That's not saying much.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Is this got you a seems- young adult
1: oriented as its audience? You think?
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. It's got a little bit of, sort of like awkward romance kind of thing with a little bit of flirtation and a bit more sex appeal than you get in maybe a typical PG kind of show. Um, nothing like Outlander or Bridgerton or any of those ones, which is sort of like, ooh, this one's, are, these ones are a bit more fun. Um, but it's, it's fine. None of the actors are particularly great except for um the cast of the crows which have already um been told that there's going to be a spin-off series around them because they are unequivocally the most interesting uh, characters in the show and you can tell every single time they're on screen um so i'm okay with that but yeah otherwise it's fine if you if you're interested in um high fantasy slash um period alternate period kind of young adults themed genre
1: pieces you'll like this you won't like this travis i know i know for a fact I guess look at the post it's not really my jam fantasy and young adult it's enough to make me go not for me thank you yes yes this knows what audience it's going for and it'll hit that lowest common denominator <laughs> don't talk about too hard um <laughs> <laughs> uh, my next one i had a couple to pick from him but uh i'm gonna save uh yellow jackets for next week we have season two of yellow jackets for those who mm-hmm. listeners, one of the shows of a year for me last year but you know give it another episode to see how we go mm-hmm. i'm gonna say a am gonna be controversial here and so a strong browse rating here mm. for succession uh so we have just had season four begin of succession and i don't know are you on board with this show or not not watched anything don't know anything about it it's massive like this is like people are losing their shit about how good this is i think i watched episode an episode of this three or four years ago maybe maybe longer 2018 and talked about it on the show, and I didn't really like it, and I never went back and watched it again. Mm. Um, so here we are now. it's Uh-oh. We are to be fourth and final season of Succession, and it has an 8.8 rating on IMDb, number 68 on IMDb's top TV shows of all time. People are losing their shit. It is Game of Thrones in the boardroom, I think, is the description. I saw well, so I was just it.
0: looking at it um, uh, by Jesse Armstrong, and he did Four Lions and In the Loop, so I'm interested. In-
1: Yes, uh, Four Lions, one of the funniest movies you've never seen. Do check it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is not funny. (laughs) So what we did, because I had watched episode one five years ago and had no memory of what was except that I didn't like it. I watched two episodes in season one. Mm -hmm. said, okay, this is interesting-ish. Then watched a 15-minute catch-up video about what happened in the next three seasons (laughs) so I could start watching season four which was actually a helpful way of doing it so i had uh, it's a lot to catch up i'm not sitting through two three seasons of tv uh and also michelle huge fan of succession wants to start watching it so at least by watching the catch up video i can just jump on board okay uh essentially we it's the disney's meets the murdochs meets the trumps as our main family of uh, succession uh, headed up by the uh, the patriarch played uh, Logan Roy, played by the great Brian Cox. Uh He is an absolute bastard. (laughs) He is, you know, Rupert Murdoch, a little bit of Trump mixed in. He he has his, and it's about him and his family. And I guess the struggle for the control of his company and probably more deeply the struggle for his attention and his love because Uh he doesn't give it out very easily. Uh We have uh, Kieran Culkin playing Roman Roy, we have, where is he? Jeremy Strong playing Kendall Roy. Uh, Sarah Snook, the Australian actor. Yay, Sarah is brilliant. She should be working more often. You've seen Predestination, I think. The Ethan Hawke oh, film yeah. she was in. She was in that. She's fantastic. She plays Shiv Roy or Siobhan. Uh, the other one in here is Alan Ruck, who plays Connor Roy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the four of them, Connor is kind of the oldest son from a previous marriage. So he's only a half brother to the other three. He's kind of hands off and kind of like, I am just going to go with what everybody else does. He's not really a major player other than running for president by the start of season four, which is super weird. Um, (laughs) I wasn't there for the other three seasons. I only saw the catch up. Um, The other sort of main characters in here are Greg Hirsch, who is a cousin to the others, who we meet in episode one, working at one of uh, the Roy's theme parks. Uh, Mm -hmm. where he gets fired, getting stoned and throwing up inside one of the mascot costumes. So that's kind of funny, I guess. Um, That's only the second funniest thing that happened in a mascot costume in a film involving Jesse Armstrong. If you've seen Four Lions, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, It's good. Um, So, and the other one in here is Tom Siggins played by Matthew McFadden, who is Shiv Roy's now estranged husband, who is uh, an employee of Logan Roy. So we've got all these different players sort of going on and all these different agendas to try and come together to, by the fourth season, the gist of the show is, if I, I'm sorry if you haven't watched the have other three, but you can watch the catch-up video like me. The, the four of maybe three sort of central Roy children Are working together to basically try and topple their father and stymie him in whichever way they can Hmm. having had their shares of his company taken away from them um through some shenanigans involving their father uh in the last season um everybody's excellent uh brian cox right brian cox is just he's, he's the man right if you want someone to play a fucking curmudgeon he's the guy you probably want to do it yeah. uh kieran culkin in one of the best things i've ever seen kieran culkin do like i thought that was scott pilgrim but it's, it's <laughs> that's exactly where my brain went uh, he's actually playing a very similar character that he did in scott pilgrim but you know just spin it a little bit differently and you've got roman roy okay. uh candle roy played by jeremy strong really kind of interesting sort of eric trump kind of character sort of uh right. sort of addiction issues weak willed lack of killer instinct and Shivroy is very complex and layered character who may, in fact, be the biggest badass of the entire family. And sort of, you know, I get the impression is she could go either way about whether she'll stick with them or destroy them. Um, and why I'm not going an absolute binge on this is it's super well written. Uh-huh. And it, it's, got, it's got all the money in the world spent on it. It looks fantastic. Great actors, great writing, great everything just the characters are so deeply uninteresting in a sense. They're a bunch of rich fucks fighting about who gets to be the biggest rich fuck. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I don't understand why that's such an interesting story to me. You know, like um, maybe if I'd spent three seasons with him, I care a little bit more about it. Mm. Um I like the characters. It is interesting and it is entertaining. It's just, I don't, I don't know who gets to be the biggest, who gets to control this company. Do I care? Mm kind of why I'm, I'm kind of a little bit in that space occasionally i'm like okay so they're really pissed off because their dad did this thing it means they don't control the company anymore if they really wanted to they could just sell all their shares and go and sit off on an island somewhere next to the people from uh triangle of sadness and you know and just be <laughs> billionaires for the rest of their life that doesn't sound so bad to me if I, I would probably do that if i were them but you know um but- then there would be no story um So that's probably the the only thing for me is the subject matter isn't all that interesting to me. Um, So uh, family dynamics, maybe that's not where my interests sit. But, look, uh, if you're not already on this one and you're like me and George and you've kind of given it a wide berth, you got three seasons there all ready to go for you to enjoy. And a fourth season has already started, so it'll probably be done by the time you finish watching the other three seasons. And you could do a lot worse.
0: Okay. The last one that I'll talk about is another soft browse, and it just keeps on just going slowly, slowly towards the burn. Uh, the longer it goes on, because now they don't have any end plan. The Mandalorian. It's it's doing more of what it is has been doing for the last of it, uh, last two seasons, but it's now at a point where it's like, okay. Even Dave Filoni, the the, the the main guy behind the successful Star Wars stuff, as they like to tout. Um, hmm, curious. We may not be alive online. I don't know what's happening with my thing. I'm going to try refreshing and just see what happens. Uh, won't let me refresh. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Well. Well, we'll keep recording for the podcast people. Recording anyway. for now, because at the moment, my my screen is very different to what it's supposed to be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's fine. We seem to still be live on the um, on the channels, so I guess that's fine. Yeah. So Mandalorian started off with te- just telling us. Uh, uh, essentially a western in space and then it started to to like um expand out and do more with the the greater universe of star wars and now dave Filoni has come out as like yeah i don't really know where i'm going with the story kind of need to not exactly got a good heritage of tv shows where we don't know where we're going resulted
1: in must watch to the end tv more relevantly there isn't a good track record of star wars without having a plan about where you're going with your series of films or shows
0: yeah and especially when literally the lead-in to mandalorian season three was the book of boba fett where they just gave up on the end it's like yeah boba fett you can go off go away for the bit we'll bring in the mandalorian and do this as a soft launch it was Oh, there we go. We're back on. Everything's showing that it's all right. Excellent. Good. That was weird. Um, yeah. So it's sort of, okay. Did you, you, you're just doing this for the money and you, you don't care. Okay. Oh, yes. Yes. That's right. You're a Disney property. Cool. It's, it's still fine. You know, Pedro Pascal is still great um the overall feel of it is entertaining um and if you liked season one and season two you'll probably like this one but it's missing some of the magic from those first two seasons so far at least and i'm watching it just for something to watch and to talk about but it's getting closer and closer the longer this goes on the more it's like okay this should have been just two seasons just introduce us to
1: to a cool character and let's move on to something else that's something i'll say for succession they're the top of their game mm-hmm. huge interest they're ending it after four seasons because that's the story yeah it's amazing what happens when you actually plot out a whole story and you know spend time making it you know paste well or at least when you get to the go i, I don't i think this is it i don't think I've got a whole lot more to tell mm-hmm. walk away
0: yeah Anything else you wanted to talk about?
1: I think that's it. And apparently we were live on the YouTube, so thank you, Shell, for that. Thank Um, you. But I think it's time to say goodnight. We're at an hour 40. We've kind of gone a bit over, but it's pretty good for us by historic standards. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen,
0: for watching. This has been episode 177 of The Armchair Producers, where we talked about our chain movie of the week, Dawn of the Dead. We're going to be talking about Piranha 3D for the next one, following Ving Rames from Dawn of the Dead to Piranha 3D. We talked about John Wick 4, as well as Triangle of Sadness, and then Binge Browse Burn, where we had Lucky Hank, Shadow and Bone, Succession Season 4, and Mandalorian Season 3 binge browse binge browse for a quick snapshot of those ones look at that did that in less than a minute there you go well done, well done. don't forget to follow us at twitch.tv slash brain where you can also donate if you want to there is the up here in this corner we've got our donate thing if you want to get a membership for a restream kicks us ten dollars which is cool um facebook.com slash armchairproducers twitch um At the Fried Brain, at Evil Trav on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got any recommendations, put them in the chat.
1: That's it. Good night. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Next time.